Brandon Brands. Hey, this is Jamie Cohen, communication coach, speaker, and advisor, and founder of The Right Words. If you want to build a brand that matters, you should be listening to Brands on Brands on Brands with my good friend, Brandon Berkmeyer. In a world where advertising is ignored, business is exposed, and the only constant is change, how do you build a brand that matters? Welcome to Brands on Brands on Brands, a home for those who think different and push their boundaries. This is where branding that matters lives. Now, here's your host, Brandon Berkmeyer. Hey, 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 what's up, everyone? Welcome to Brands on Brands on Brands. I'm Brandon Berkmeyer, your personal marketing coach, and I believe that building a brand that matters is the best way for a business to thrive tomorrow. If you are listening for the first time, I do appreciate you guys tuning in this week. And if you want to catch this show every week, go to brandonbrands.com where you can find all of my content and ways to subscribe to the email, to the Facebook group, to the show, and be a part of this world. Join our community. Now, every Monday, as you guys know, I do interviews and every Thursday we do a little deep dives on strategy and tactics in marketing. But today is an interview show, so excited to bring to you today Jamie Cohen. Jamie Cohen is the founder of The Right Words, which is her show on LinkedIn. She's a speaker, different marketing conferences throughout the U.S. She's a communication coach mainly, which is what I want you guys to pay attention to in this conversation today. She consults with people, helps them figure out their messaging and their personal branding. And the most important piece of all that isn't the tactics, isn't the channels you're on, it's the words you use, it's how you communicate. And what's great is we don't just talk about that, how to, to choose your words wisely, we talk about the intent, how to be a good listener and how to figure out your, your communication style and your communication skills. Basically how to build relationships because most of our relationships are built based on these interactions we have and how we communicate, whether it's that very first interaction and remembering people's names and the stories that they're telling, how to interact and actually engage and listen to them in a way that lets them know that you actually care and are someone worth remembering. So we talk about a lot of that on the show and give you ways to communicate that will help you level up your success. So I hope you guys get a chance to check it out. We also talk about her course that's coming up, which by the time this is released, should be out there for you to check out. It is a course about how to be a, a stronger communicator, uh, the art and architecture of strong communication. And she also teaches some LinkedIn, but the class, if you want to find it, you can go to brandonbrands.com forward slash Jamie Cohen. That's J-A-I-M-E-C-O-H-E-N, Jamie Cohen. And I slowed down because Jamie is spelled J-A-I-M-E. And that's sometimes what people mess up. So spell it right, go find the link. And more importantly, check out my awesome conversation with Jamie Cohen that starts now. Brandon Brands. All right, let's get going. Today, everyone, I'm excited to bring to you our guest. She's a speaker, a communication coach, and has a show called The Right Words. I found her because we have a lot of friends in common that are in this space, that are active on LinkedIn, that are helping other people learn how to be better with their marketing, with their media, with their message. And who else better to talk to than someone who talks about communication? 
And someone, so many of us could use that, including myself. Uh, maybe she'll help me get through me stuttering through this introduction. Uh, but let me bring to you today, Jamie Cohen. Jamie, first of all, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on the show. Yeah, me as well. And as you can tell, the reason I'm excited is like getting to talk about the words we use, how we say things, the intention we bring to our conversations is, I think, hugely important for anyone who's trying to like become active in this, this space of creating media. And so many people are doing that now, but maybe you haven't gotten some kind of communication training or have been educated in you know, how to even speak to people. Like I've had to learn a lot as to be, like how to be a better listener and creating a podcast. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit first. Like what, why is it so important to be strong in uh, your communication skills? Everything in life that brings us success comes from having strong relationships, having people like us, having people trust us. And in order to do that, we need to make people feel like they're understood. And in order to do that, you need to use words that make them feel comfortable and that they're able to access. And a lot of people will take a public speaking course or will will learn a few things here and there from their teachers or from their parents. But one thing that really is left out of our training and becoming good friends and great communicators is listening. And we get really excited about something and we spend our time waiting to jump in and give our punchline rather than actively listening to the person that we're speaking with. And there's so much of what a person says that is between the lines of the words that they're using. And it's their emotion, it's their tone, it's their facial expressions. And if we are focusing on that, then we're able to understand them better. And there is this trick that I, it's not really a trick, but if you don't know it, I guess then it is a trick that it is really easy to connect with people when you listen. So a lot of, I don't, if you've ever had this experience, you talk to someone and you tell them something about yourself and you feel a little bit of vulnerable. And then they say back to you, so it sounds like you're this and this and that and, and these other things, and you've done all these things and that's amazing. And then you go, wow, no one has ever really understood me that way before that I can't believe, how, how did you know all of that? And they'll just say, you know, I was listening, but really the answer is you literally just told me all of that. And what I've done is consolidate it and regurgitate it to show you that I care and that I'm interested. And that even that's something that is seemingly so simple, but a lot of people don't think about doing. What, what happened? So, I mean, it seems like we should be good at this by now, right? Like we've been communicating mm -hmm. forever. And it seems like we should be better at listening and talking at the same time. But it seems like we get fumbled up, even if we're trying to listen, especially I get that part where you talk about you introduce yourself for the first time, you're thinking about what you're going to say. Like, mm -hmm. why is it so hard? I forget names all the time. And like, right after they say it, like, what is it that trips us up? It's anxiety. So we spend so much time. So my company is called The Right Words. And a lot of people hear that and think, well, I, I wish I had you around all the time because I never have the right words to say, but it's not having the right words isn't about having the perfect words. You don't have to say the perfect thing and use the perfect words to get your point across. And we spend a lot of time speaking and we spend a lot of time communicating. But what, who is it? John C. Maxwell said that we all, we all communicate, but not all of us connect. Yeah. In other words, essentially is what he said. Yeah. And the connection piece is what takes the training. 
and we want to look good and we want to sound good. And so when someone introduces ourselves themselves to us, our fear that we will forget their name induces the forgetfulness. So we'll, we say, oh no, I'm going to forget their name. And then, I mean, this used to, before Facebook, this was a nightmare for me because I have some short-term memory issues. And this thing would happen to me where I would get nervous, especially about like introducing people to other people. So if I was in a room of my friends and I had to introduce them to other people, I would have this anxiety that I would forget their name, even though I know them. And having that anxiety would cause me to forget a name. So this would happen randomly at school. I'd see someone and just totally forget their name. There was no Facebook. So for a week, I'd just be like, what is their name? And I couldn't ask anybody because I've known this person for like five years. But it's literally this block that we create for ourselves. It does not exist. We put it into our own minds. And it's almost like we think we're protecting ourselves, but we're actually harming ourselves. And there are a lot of different tactics and mnemonic devices you can use so that you remember a name. So one, for instance, is let's say I'm meeting you for the first time. Right. And you say, hi, I'm Brandon. And I think in my mind, okay. And this goes perfectly with what you do for a living, brands. When I think (laughs) of brands on other things, so I'm thinking of a brand on top of a person and that is brand on. And now I'm going to remember your name. Whenever I see you, I will have that image in my mind. Yeah. And what they're, what, they're, what they're not seeing in the camera is I'm wearing a hat that says brands on brands on brands. Yeah. On brands, on brands. It literally <laughs> says it about 20 times on the hat. I'm trying to make it easy for you guys out there. Yeah. Or even, even one that's a little bit more visual. So right. like Courtney, you could think of a tennis court and uh, just knees all over it. And so then anytime you see that person, you see this tennis court with just knees all over the court. And then that's hilarious. And you remember, ah, Courtney. And these are things that, you know, we're speaking about this slowly, but this is something you can do in your mind in a split second. And then, of course, what we all know is repeating that person's name. So, hi, my name is Courtney. Oh, Courtney, so nice to meet you. And then saying their name, not excessively, but at least a couple of times while you're speaking to them. Yeah, exactly. And well, it's funny is I've heard those kind of those those ideas before and or sit them down at a table with all the other Courtney's in your life. And, you know, like Mm -hmm. like that whole thing. Sometimes it works. Sometimes I'm like, it does the, like, I just still don't do the, the work. Probably I don't have the mm-hmm. habit established to do that enough. And I, and I, you know, I think we'll just end up forgetting things and, and that <laughs> happen. It happens, you know, over time. I think we just got to be a little forgiving of that. But I think the more important thing that you were touching on earlier is this idea of listening while the other people are talking and like trying to just be really interested in that. But some people like they're going through a conversation where you want to say three different things and you like forget what the first thing was you wanted to say. Along the way, I think it becomes difficult to, to carry on conversations and, and to actually be a listener uh, over time. Uh, is there a good way to like be a better listener? I mean, other than just to listen, like what do you do when you're listening to a long, like I'm ranting here on purpose. How do you listen to this whole thing I'm saying and then figure out what it is that you want to like chime in on? Well, a lot of times what I'll do, especially when I'm speaking to people over video is I'll have a, a document open. And anytime they say something that's interesting, I'll just jot that down. If I'm in person with somebody, if we're having just a face-to-face conversation, that isn't really conducive to the conversation. But time, sometimes I'll have like a little notepad and I'll just write a word that they said that will be a trigger because you can, you can train your brain to do certain things. So if I don't have that notepad, what I do is in my mind, I see a notepad. And then when they say something, I write it down on that notepad and I like, I commit it to mem- memory in that moment and then just sort of hold it in my mind. And I don't know exactly, 
I'm working on how to explain that more clearly because I also, as a child, had a photographic memory. And I think that that is a tactic of someone with that sort of memory. I don't know if that applies to everyone. Now, my memory isn't quite at that level, but I still have a few of these skills that I had previously. But it's just something that I think you can do over time and practice. And rather than trying to remember what someone said and the response that you want, which is what causes you to forget, you can think, okay, this is the specific thing they said that sparked what I want to say. So let me just remember that thing that they said. And then it's not so important. This is not a, usually conversations are not life and death for the average person. So if you don't remember the exact thing you were going to say, that's all right. But if you remember what they said, you'll still have some response. And if that was the particular thing you wanted to respond to, then that's fine. It doesn't have to be perfect. And you can just take note of those different things that someone's saying. Or, and just another way to to jog your memory is when someone says something you want to respond to, you can just interject for a second and say, oh, that's really interesting. So then that tells, it's sort of like writing something down that helps you tell your mind, this is something that I want to pay attention to. I've made a statement. So now that's going to be circling in my mind and then just let them continue. Yeah. I think I've actually make a habit of interrupting and apologizing where I'm like, oh, I, remind me, I want to ask you more about that, but, but keep going, you know, keep going with the story. I want to hear more. And then that, mm-hmm. like, I think between the two of us, one of us will remember. Exactly. What's funny is uh, being someone now who interviews a lot of people and, you know, asking questions, I do the same thing. I take notes where like, if they say a word that's just I'm like, oh, I want to like, dive a little deeper, I'll type out the word without trying to bang on my keyboard so loud it distracts people. But there are, you know, sometimes having to transition and say, like, to say something next that's on your mind, you do, I think, forget to dive in deeper on what they were talking about and ask questions, especially if, if, they're, if this is like, a, like you're diving deep and you're sharing something. I think mm-hmm. being really present in that conversation is important, especially if it's a feeling or something like acknowledging, at least acknowledging, if you have nothing to say about acknowledging that thing that they're sharing is important to make them feel like you were listening. And I'll give an example of mine. I, I'm sure you have some as well where I've, you know, I have like mastermind groups that I talk to and I've been like, yeah, this is, I had this amazing, this crazy experience where I got really vulnerable. I shared this and I shared them with them, the thing that I shared. And like, then there's like a bad connection and they're like driving and it was, yeah, what was that? Sorry. Say, say it again. <laughs> you know, it, it was, I was, I was, I was looking at the menu, you know, it was like, oh, okay, well, never mind. <laughs> yeah. It, it turns us off. Right. So the, w- let's talk about the negative things. Like if you're not taking the time to pay attention, what does it do to these relationships overall? Like, how, have you seen some of these, like when you're meeting someone for the first time or the second or third, when we're not listening, what happens? When we're not paying attention, it makes the person feel that you don't value their time or what they have to say. And even if the person is very self-assured, it's a subconscious thing. It's the, the two things that are, that are most important to us like your your favorite word in whatever language you speak is your name. You get this boost of dopamine anytime you hear your name. So your name is important. That's why we try so hard to remember names. And then when someone's saying something, it takes energy for someone, the average person, to complete a thought in a way that they think is engaging and entertaining and interesting. And if they've spent if they've done the work to do that and you haven't paid attention, then maybe subconsciously or even consciously, they say, well, what was the point of this conversation? Why am I talking to you if you are not listening, if you're texting, if your mind is elsewhere? You know, I, 
I have a million other things that I could be doing. Why am I here? Yeah. It's a value of time thing. It's like, wait, you know, do you even value that I'm here? I could be doing something else. What's, What's going on? But our lives are so busy that we can't expect everyone to remember everything that we say. And this is what I call being a compassionate conversationalist. So I can tell sometimes if I've met someone and it's been a while, if I happen to remember their name and they don't remember mine, or I don't remember, I don't remember their name and I ask them, but they are too embarrassed to ask me when I'm talking or telling a story or whatever it is I'm doing, I'll talk about myself in the story and name myself to take that pressure off of them. Because it's not, I mean, everyone struggles with these things. Why not give the other person the benefit of the doubt or give them some cushion so that you can retain or just regain that connection? Yeah, no, I love it. And honestly, I could use as many tips as possible because going to all these, like, I'm sure you do the same thing, going to a lot of events where you're meeting a ton of people, this becomes mm-hmm. like ma- like over like overdrive for your brain and your, your mind. And especially if you're meeting people like three at a time in a group, this just, just gets really difficult. But I try not to pressure myself. I'm like, okay, the names are important. I just admit I'm going to forget them. But I try to like at least try to look, what is this person talking about? Like, what is something they're sharing? What do I need to know about them that's, that's going to make me like think, what can I help them with or what's important mm-hmm. to them? So I know I want to know them a little bit better. And that's like, that's a goal for me. Do you go into conversations with like, not like a business goal, but like a goal? Like, okay, like, I want to think about this actively. Do you have things in mind that you do that you're like, this is how I approach conversation? My goal is to always try to understand what the person wants or what what their goal is, what they how they want to be understood. So when I go to different events, the first question is, oh, so what do you do? But I feel like that that sort of cut and dry and it doesn't always lead into stronger conversation or longer conversation or I don't know, juicier conversation. Yeah. So sometimes I'll ask, what do you do for fun? Or what's something that is important to you lately or something you've been thinking about lately? Just something that's kind of a little bit off from what the average person would ask you. And it makes the person think, but it also it also starts creating this connection because someone will say, oh, well, usually someone just wants to ask what I do. And then they're going to see if there's a way we can work together. And I know that's the point of this, but a friend, a friend of mine, Jane Scudder, she's a cultural anthropologist in Chicago. And she and I do um, a lot of similar things. And But she works with uh, a lot of, what do you call it, government candidates and government members and those sorts of things. And something that she always says when she goes to networking events, a lot of people are uncomfortable and they think, well, I need to meet this many people and I need to do my pitch and I need to do that. And she always says, well, when I go, I just think about catching up. Like I'm going to go catch up with some people. So basically, whenever I go to any, I just bring that up because when I go to any event, whether it's a networking event or a party or whatever, my goal is to make friends. And if we don't have enough time to build friendship, because of course, friendship takes time, it's to make some sort of connection. What are we going to do so that we both leave feeling like we know each other a little bit better? Or maybe we have the opportunity to connect outside, whether that's getting coffee or whether that is going to some other event together. The opportunity to build relationships is always there no matter where, no matter where you are. You can be at line in the bath, like at line for the bathroom at an event. You could be like, I've, I met someone in Chicago once in the bathroom of a restaurant and I've met someone at a coffee shop and you have all these opportunities 
to meet incredible people. And if you don't take the risk of reaching out and starting a conversation, you could miss out on the opportunity to meet someone really wonderful. And I mean, this all circles back to relationships. A lot of us find ourselves in relationships, both with friends and romantic relationships that are relationships of circumstance. So we're with the people that are closest to us as far as like circumference goes. And those people aren't necessarily the perfect people in our lives. They just happen to be the people that are around us. But when we take, a, I don't really consider it taking a risk. I, the reason I call it taking a risk is because there's always the chance of rejection, which is fine. You shouldn't take that personally. Not everyone's going to like you. But when we put ourselves out there, we have the opportunity to meet the people we're supposed to meet rather than just the people that happen to be around us regularly. Yeah. I love this idea of relationship building because I, you know, I feel like communication is like a currency within networking and relationship building. And it's, it's something that's exchanged and back and forth. But mm-hmm. the idea of relationship building, when you put it into that context, what I think of is, is what do you do at the beginning versus what do you do over time? Because mm-hmm. sometimes you could take the pressure off of yourself of having to have all the right things to say, all the right words at the very beginning, that the things that mess you up because you put that pressure on, if you frame it as something as this is just the first interaction in a possible series of, of future encounters. Mm-hmm. And now it's just a matter of saying, hi, nice to meet you. And, and maybe, you know, just being genuinely curious for a moment. Have you thought about that in terms of like the long term? How do you treat relationships when you meet someone for the first time versus like how you interact with them. And maybe if I put it like this, someone that might be a, like, it's pressure for you to, you want to meet someone that's like, you're looking to meet someone. You're looking to like find someone in a different circle that, you know, like a connection, a potential interview, someone to come on your show. Like, how do you think of these relationships like long-term versus short-term? Well, this is something that I've actually spent a lot of time on because there are a lot of different types of relationships. And for me, it used to be very difficult to have surface level relationships. I consider myself a good listener. And because of that, people often tell me a lot about themselves and they tell me more than they wish they had. And suddenly they realize, oh no, what have I just done? And I think, oh my gosh, we're best friends. And they think, oh my gosh, I need to run away immediately. Why did I tell this person this? So the way that I, over the years, have taught myself to think about relationships is there are different friends or different things. And you can be friends with basically you can be friendly with everyone in your life. And it's just, how do you look at that relationship? So when you first meet someone, the goal is to find some common ground. So that's a good way to think about your first encounter. What What is this person passionate about? What's important to them? What do they care about? Not necessarily any of the very specifics, but what is the general thing that makes this person tick? And then the second encounter is getting more specific. So asking them questions, really listening to how they respond And talking about things that you're interested in and talking about things that are important to you. And I think a lot of people are afraid of talking too much or not saying enough. And even as someone who coaches businesses and individuals on this very thing, there are times where I'll meet someone and think, oh my gosh, did I say too much? Did I not give them enough time to say the things that they really wanted to say? And the biggest thing with all of this is to give yourself a break. Don't punish yourself for the way you think that you've been perceived because often the way you feel you've been perceived isn't the way you were perceived at all because we are our own harshest critics. So we might think, oh, I totally bombed that interview or I totally bombed 
that conversation and they're never going to want to talk to me again. And then you hear from someone the next week, oh, my friend said that they met you and that you were amazing and that this and that. And you're thinking in your head, well, how do they think that? How could they possibly think that that was a good conversation? That was the worst conversation I've ever had. So this all goes back to listening. If you can try to see things from the perspective of the other person, then you start putting less pressure on yourself, less pressure and fear of failure. So this is something that you can consider in almost any situation in your life, whether you, like you said, meeting someone for the first time and how, how that extends over time. You can look at any interaction in that way. So what is going to be what is going to be the timeline of this relationship? So if you're interviewing for a job, instead of going in and being fearful about saying the wrong thing, thinking about, okay, where am I right now? Where do I want to be? And even if this doesn't go the way that I'm anticipating, where do I see myself with this person a few months from now? And when you do that and you when you think about the long game, it takes a lot of pressure off of you. Because this is something you can equate to basically, I mean, not just all of the relationships, but everything in your life. If you think about instant gratification versus delayed gratification, if we give ourselves little goals that we can achieve, we can get the little spikes of gratification. But the ultimate goal, we can take some pressure off of ourselves because we know that there are steps to get there. So if we relate this back to relationship building, you don't have to become best friends with that person instantly. You don't have to know their deepest, darkest secrets. You don't need to be their favorite person. And I think a lot of people are worried about this, especially now with so much business networking and especially with the amazingness that is LinkedIn. I think I've heard a lot of people say that they feel sometimes like it's almost competitive friendship. Like, oh, they this person said all these nice things about this person and that person and that person. So when I get on the phone with them in the first five minutes, they need to love me and then I need to seal the deal so that they keep saying great things about me and then they want to talk to me more. But the thing that you have to keep in mind is that how sustainable is every relationship that you are building? If you if your goal is to go all in with a thousand people, you are going to be so drained, you're not going to have enough energy or just enough wherewithal to really give anything substantial to any of those individuals. You give a lot, you give a little to a ton of people versus like taking things in a stepwise fashion. This is what I'm going to do first with this person and then the next person. And then maybe this is something that we can talk about in a little bit. But once you've built these relationships, how do you maintain them? So if you've built a really strong relationship, but you're going to continue building relationships with, you know, hundreds of people, how do you make sure that these relationships that you've spent so time, so much time cultivating are going to be maintained? Yeah, I think that's that's really interesting to me, especially, if, I mean, if there are businesses out there, people listening whose business is their, their themselves, or they are the face of their business, they are the, the ultimate networker for their business, they're the one who's responsible for the, bringing the relationships in, then, that, then maintaining those relationships is half the battle. Like you go out there and you meet all these people but then figuring out how to continue to communicate, whether it's an email or showing up at a different event or a phone call or a video or whatever it is, can become an overwhelming amount of work uh, overall. So I, I can imagine that you would need a, a good approach for that. I'd love to hear so yeah, some of your approaches for that overall. Let's, let's take a step back. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about just how you even got into this idea of like you, you know, like talking about using the right words and communication. And then we want to talk a little bit about your show and like what you're doing with like how you help people. But let's go a little bit back. Like, how did you even get into this? Uh, like, 
think like, were you always like, did you study communication in college? Like, where did this come from for you? No. So that's, that's been the interesting thing entering this market is that I meet a lot of incredible people who have spent their lives or they've spent time in academia studying communication. My education has been totally different. It's been a very painful one, but I think it's sort of the best one that you could have. So I grew up around a lot of disarray for a number of reasons around a lot of different personalities, a lot of mental health issues. And I had to learn how to navigate those situations. So have success in those situations, protect myself, and make sure that I wasn't triggering the people around me. So at a very young age, I started, and I always say to myself, I wish I would have I would have written all of this down because at this point I could have had like several PhDs and all of the things that I like. I love collecting information. I've spent my entire life studying the way people think, the actions that they take and why they do those specific things. And I spent a lot of time thinking about these things and testing them out. When I was in middle school, I, and the area I grew up in is totally different now, but when I was growing up there, it was really anti-Semitic. And I got bullied constantly. And then also I have some health issues and I was crippling when I was in middle school. So I got made fun of a lot. So just it was just this incessant bullying. And there were all these campaigns like it gets better and this and that. But I was thinking this time at that age, this time feels like it's going to last forever. Maybe it gets better, but how am I going to make it to next week? So I had to start watching other people and saying, okay, well, I don't want to change who I am because I think that everyone is an individual. Everyone has something interesting to offer, but I'm not having success in this environment. So let me look at the people who are having success and see what they're doing and see if there's anything that I feel I could emulate while still maintaining my moral compass. Yeah. So you're better armed. I mean, just having having to deal with it through childhood and develop skills, like we all develop skills through experiences. And like mm-hmm. so some of these things came you know, whether good or bad or however these environments come, they, they craft certain things that we're better at or worse at. When did you start to recognize that this is something that you wanted to like help other people with? I didn't realize that this was something that I could do for a living. One of the n- number of majors I had in college was psychology, but I really didn't want to become a psychologist because I'm extremely empathetic and I take on, if I feel close to someone or even if someone just tells me a really harrowing tail, I take on that energy and I just didn't feel that I could, that would be a sustainable career for me. But I did, I mean, I really was excelling in that area. So I tried a number of other things and, but I was always the person people came to for advice because I spent so much time studying everyone around me and studying different types of people, different cultures, different religions, seeing how they interacted and having my own experience, but also living through vicarious experience. Anywhere I would go, if someone was talking about something that happened to them, I would say, well, why did this happen? Why did you, why do you think that this happened? What did the other person say? How do you think the other person felt? What is your next? So like when I was a kid, you know, sometimes people would probably get annoyed by that. Why are you asking so many questions? But I got so much information that when anybody came to me for advice, I mean, research is everything. I have now a 100% so far, like a 100% success rate with anyone who I give guidance to. And I think that's because I have gone through every situation and tested every single possibility. But I know this is diverting from your question, which is how, how did I realize this is what I wanted to do? I didn't know this was something that I could do for a living. 
you know, I was a competitive salsa dancer. I was a Spanish interpreter. I was in comedy. I was doing stand up and improv and all these different things. And still people were coming to me asking for advice on, you know, what do I do for this relationship? What do I do at this job? Like, how do I get my parents to respect me? How do I get what I want in this particular environment? And I was just giving all of this information. And as I got into other jobs, even though I was hired for a particular position, what I was most often doing was counseling all of these different people on how to best connect. So I worked with someone who was really talented at what they did, but the way that they were communicating with their clients wasn't the best way. So they would send they would send a message saying, hey, we haven't talked in a while. I, I don't mean to be annoying, but I just want to see what's going on. And so I worked with them saying, if you give someone the idea that you've been annoying, that's the first thing that they're going to think. So you need to change the way that you're speaking into, into a more positive rhetoric. So you obviously want to honor that person's time, but instead of saying, hey, I don't mean to be annoying or hey, I'm sure you're really busy, saying the thing that you want to say, asking them the question and then say, I really appreciate you taking the time to read my message. I know you have a lot going on. And so this was happening in every single job that I was in. And then in the last job that I had before I went full-time with my business, The Right Words, which initially was called Jambalaya, by the way, I saw that there was a change on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is what helped me launch my business and, and realize exactly what it is I wanted to do. So I saw people sharing stories and having these great interactions. And it was actually Michaela Alexis who inspired me. I mean, I feel confident and she will never admit this, but she changed the entire way that people communicate on LinkedIn. And sure, there were people that things were transitioning towards a more conversational experience, but the way that she was so open and told her story inspired so many people, including me. And so I started telling my story and saying, this is what I've gone through and these are the things I'm interested in and and just started talking about topics that I was interested in and seeing the feedback that I got. So I would write something and then I would get some messages saying, oh, thank you so much for posting this. This was important to me because... And so then I would keep moving in the direction of the content that I felt most passionate about, but that I was getting the best response to. And suddenly I was getting so much response. I was getting thousands of messages thousands of notifications. It was totally overwhelming. But what I realized is, oh, this is something that people actually need. I'm not just being a good friend, which is what I thought for years. Oh, I'm just a good friend and I happen to give good advice. Some of it unsolicited, be that as it may. You know, Having this experience on LinkedIn made me realize, okay, well, there are people out there that could use this particular type of coaching or this particular type of guidance. And so testing out this content drove me to where I am currently. Yeah. And I had, I'd say a similar experience in that. I feel like you can, if, if you are at least starting the process of using your voice, like, you know, you can find your message in doing that. So even if you don't know when you start what you want to be known for and what you want and what that's all about, but you actually start using your voice and expressing yourself, I find that in that process, you can find what it is that your message can be as opposed to having to have it all figured out before you create any content. And I think that's that's just a, a valuable tool that, that a lot of us don't tap into. And so it sounds like to me that's that's a bit of what your experience was that you started creating and sharing. And in that, like it, you started to find your your the thing you wanted to be about or the thing that you were about just started to express itself more often. And you got feedback on that, like live feedback, which is yes, huge. It is huge. And I think 
I've been having this conversation with a lot of people recently where they feel like I know exactly what it is I want to do and I know how I'm going to do it. I know that this is my gift. And some people even feel, I've actually had a lot of people recently say to me, they feel like this is a gift from God and like this is their calling what they have to do, but people aren't catching on. They're like, I know this is, I see myself doing this and and I see myself in front of millions of people and I see myself changing the world, which, and I always am so impressed by their confidence in themselves because I think that's such a beautiful thing in a world where we are just constantly bombarded with things that would just tear our confidence apart. But the thing that they are often missing for those particular people who aren't having success, who have that passion, is that they're not communicating their message in a way that their audience understands. And something that I learned years ago, and something that I think a lot of people don't learn is that when we're telling a story that's really important to us, we have a million details that we think are crucial to the understanding of the plot. But to the person listening, that's not necessarily the case. And something, if we apply this to storytelling in general, when you're telling a story, even if the story is about you, and it usually is, though you are the one who experienced it, your audience is the hero of the story. If you're not speaking in a way that allows them to relate, even if it's something like, you know, you see these TED, these TED talks about women who were in cults and they escaped. We haven't been in a cult, but they said things in a way like, I can imagine how she must have felt in that experience. And I can only imagine if that were me, what I would have done. So suddenly I become a part of that story. And that's what allows me to relate to this person. So going back to this whole idea of of why people feel passionate about something, they feel like they're called to do something, but they're not getting a response, is that they haven't yet found a way to tell their story so that their audience is the hero. So basically what, what you need to do in order to sell anything, in order to build a business, to find out what it is you want to be doing and then have success in that is to build a community first. So going back to what I was just saying about testing content on LinkedIn, just like you did, and figuring out what it is we want to do, build your community first. See and try to understand what do they want? What do they need? And then once you have a clear understanding of that, you don't have to sell to them, but you can change your content so that it clearly states this is what I do. And if you need help, this is what you can come to me for. And then all of a sudden you have this strong community of people who are loyal to you, who are loyal to one another. And you don't have to worry about saying the perfect thing. You don't have to worry about having this specific strategy that if you don't follow to the T, then everything is going to fall into a million pieces. But the first thing that you have to do is get clear on the way that you tell a story. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, I, I'll leave you with this before we, I want to hear like where people can find you. Cause I know you're teaching some of this stuff as well, but what I like to, to share with people is, is this exact path I've seen. I've seen multiple people take it, which is you start creating content because it helps you use your voice. You have to find your message and what you're known for. That content leads to community because people gather around the things that, that they are akin to it, that, that draw them in. And then from that community, you can find impact by asking people what their problems are and solving them. Content community impact is, is how a business can start, especially if you're in this, this place where you want to live a service life and you want to help people, you want to share your experience, you want to, you know, something you've learned a year ago, you want to teach someone else, whatever it is in your job, in your career, or in a business you want to start. Th- that formula I've seen over and over again, and it's, it's paid out today. But I'd love to hear where you're out there helping people, teaching the things you've learned about 
the art and architecture of strong communication as you've explained it to me. How are you helping people? And, and let's get them like how to connect with you and what you're teaching in these and uh, in, in when you're helping people, what you're teaching. Sure. So I have two areas where I'm teaching. One is with businesses where I go in and give a variety of different workshops. This can be on interpersonal communication. This can be on interdepartmental communication. But basically, all of this is a business-aligned focus of how we communicate with one another and what we can do to be successful and, and a com- on a company-wide scale. On the other hand, I work with people individually. So like what we've just spoken about, if you feel like there is something that you want to be doing and you don't feel like you can communicate that message, I work with you to help you figure out how to say what it is you want to say and how to get the best response from that. If you are looking to you're you're looking to present yourself as a leader but you don't have that leadership title, how do you go about building these relationships? All of this comes down to different types of relationship building. And um so this can be for your business, this can be for someone who works at a company who either is interviewing and needs help negotiating their salary, wants to be seen as a leader in their company, or just simply wants to see themselves in a particular way and wants to share that story and have that story shared consistently. Because one thing that I want to leave everyone with is that you have control over your story. If you think about, if you go back to like high school, and you think about the most popular kid at school, everyone had this narrative around that person. But where did that narrative come from? It came from that person. If you talk to that person, they say these things about themselves, they get repeated again and again. But when you learn how to talk about yourself in a confident way, this, this can extend in every area of your life, your relationships with your friends and family, your relationships with your coworkers, your relationships with your community, if you're an entrepreneur and you build your own community, how are you going to tell your story in a way that resonates, in a way that is consistent? And ultimately, how are you going to get the things that you want? So these are, I work with people in all of these different areas and have uh, different coaching packages. Something I'm offering new that's new this year in 2020 is an advisory package. So I've been testing this out over the past few years on having people who are in a particular situation, they need a quick response. I'm in this situation. I don't know what to say. Can you help me? And so they can, based on a set of rules and whatnot, they can call me, they can email me, they can text me, and I can give them a response. So that that is something that um, I'm rolling out this year. But then on the other side, there's the coaching where we work on these. We identify the particular thing that you're working on. And then I have a framework that we use so that you can learn how to do these things on your own and feel confident in the way that you're building relationships, that you're telling your story and the way that you're moving about in the world. Awesome. And we didn't even get to dive into your your LinkedIn and what you're doing on LinkedIn these days. You're very active. You have a live show. Let's talk a little bit about that and how awkward is it to actually be expressing yourself in a place where you're not having one-to-one conversation. You're like talking to a camera, but maybe you see some comments. What has that been like for you? What have you learned in in being live on LinkedIn? And there's not a lot of people that have that access right now. So that's a big privilege. It is a huge privilege. And I was actually one of the beta testers. So I have had access since the beginning of 2019, which has been incredible um, because I really got to go through and understand 
how, how this functions on LinkedIn. And I am going to be putting out an article talking about um, all the different platforms you can use to go live because with LinkedIn currently, you need a third-party software in order to go live. I know a lot of people get uncomfortable when they get on camera. And especially if they're live, they don't, they're not able to go through and edit anything. But what I found personally is I feel more confident on live video than when I record something ahead of time. And then I think, oh, this has to be perfect. And then I end up recording the video 20 times. But I've always felt that I am best in any interaction when it's extemporaneous, when it's happening, when it's unplanned, when it's just happening off the cuff. But of course, there's some framework. So what I started out with my first show on LinkedIn or my first live broadcast was Let's Talk Communication. So I was I had just spoken at the um, French American Chamber of Commerce in Chicago about the way that we connect and using LinkedIn and building up your your presence in all areas of your life. And afterward, we did this live conversation about different areas of communication. So how do we navigate uncomfortable situations? How do we present ourselves in a way that promotes leadership? And that was incredible. I, we had a really engaged audience. It was great to be able to interact and answer questions and talk to people real time because when you're online and when you're creating videos, you don't always have the opportunity to talk to everyone. There just isn't enough time, especially once you build up a certain community, it's just impossible to have one-on-one conversation with everyone. And this is actually something I have a LinkedIn learning course coming out. And I talk about how to get comfortable on video and how to use video to connect with your audience. And the thing that I talk about is that when you use when you use video and you're looking directly into the camera, that takes a situation that's normally one to many and makes it one-on-one. Because when you're looking into the camera and you're the person in your audience is looking back at you, they feel like you're having a conversation. This is why the Kardashians are so successful. This is why YouTubers are so successful because people are lonely and they feel like they have a friend in the person that they're watching. But getting back to the live video, so my first broadcast was Let's Talk Communication. After that, I started a show called Food Talks. It's a live cooking show where my co-host, Chef Lauren, and I talk about healthy, delicious, and um, quick meals that you can make regardless of your level of expertise. And we were doing that every week for a while. But as I call her the chef to the star, she's been a private chef for celebrities, for huge organizations. She's an amazing cook. Her food is as good as any Michelin star restaurant that I've ever been to, which hasn't been that many, by the way. (laughs) But it's amazing. And so we've, we had a really great response. We had a community of like 300 people who were showing up every single week, who were staying on for two hours. But unfortunately, and this is all something that is going to be included in the article, is that we had a lot of technical difficulties because when it was first starting out, there was a lot of glitching. And so we ended up losing quite a bit of our community because the glitching was so bad, people didn't care to watch something go like this and and then freeze and then stop and then freeze again. But we did maintain, we still have a pretty good community, but what we're going to be doing now is taking quite a break in 2020, we're going, to gonna, we're going to come back once a month. But all of this live is going to be transformed into one show called JC Live. So this will combine Let's Talk Communication and Food Talks. So Food Talks will play once a month. And then during the other broadcasts, I'll be interviewing um, different leaders in communication. So I've spoken to some musical artists and some models and some 
CEOs of big companies and entrepreneurs just like you and me who are all around LinkedIn doing incredible things and just showing people how we all differ, but we're all the same and giving them actionable steps that they can use immediately to improve their communication, to improve their relationship building, to improve their sales skill, because all of this comes back to the way in which we connect. And the way we connect best is through strong communication. Yeah. And if you guys want to catch Jamie's, you know, her info and follow her as she's producing, LinkedIn's probably the best place to find her. Just when you're spelling Jamie, it's J-A-I-M-E. Thank you. Which Cohen is C-O-H-E-N, if you guys are under a rock and don't know how to spell Cohen. (laughs) But it's uh, linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Jamie dash Cohen. And her show, when her course comes out, we're going to align this show to be released right after it comes out so that it'll be there when you're looking for it. Uh, You can go to brandonbrands.com forward slash Jamie Cohen to find that. Uh, Jamie, anything you want to leave them with that you haven't got to express today? Well, my hashtag, if you want to find me on LinkedIn, also, if you happen to have trouble spelling my name, which quite a few people do, you can find me at hashtag the right words and the live show will be hashtag JC live. But I guess the last thing I want to leave everyone with is that you don't have to have the perfect words in order to be an excellent communicator, in order to have success and to have presence and to have people like you. All you have to do is focus on the people with whom you're communicating, what their needs are, what their goals are, and telling stories in a way so that they can relate, so that they become the hero of the story. I love it. It's time you take pressure off of yourself so you can have real conversations, real connection, and use the right words so that these relationships continue to grow and develop. And now you have another resource to do that. So Jamie, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for sharing your wisdom, your knowledge, and your story. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Brandon. You've just taken your marketing knowledge to another level with this episode of Brands on Brands on Brands. But we have plenty more ways to not just help you build a business, but build a brand. Head over to brandandbrands.com for more resources, as well as access to our blogs, videos, and exclusive coaching sessions with your host. Be sure to visit brandandbrands.com.